Steve. What's up, dude? A Healthy Dose is a bi-weekly podcast hosted by Steve Kraus, healthcare partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, and Trevor Price, CEO of Oxian Partners. Funny talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. The guys talk to leaders from various aspects of healthcare and cover personal stories, entrepreneurship, investing, and have a few laughs, many at each other's expense. Well, we both enjoy the art of the conversation. We both have faces that are made for radio. So the- At least eyebrows for me. <laughs> Double chin for me. <laughs> we get a lot of ones right, but we get a lot of ones wrong. One of the most interesting conversations I've had in a long time. If you pardon me, I'd like to say So for those of you who heard our last Healthy Dose podcast with group CEO and founder Jeff DeFlavio, he talked about a lot about the opioid epidemic, the heroin epidemic in the country, about what drove him to start groups, which is a company that's focused on this problem. And it was a wide-ranging conversation, I think an interesting one, about what we read about every day in the paper, it seems like. Yeah. Um, this week, and not to say that we didn't love our conversation with Jeff, but this week I think is probably the most impactful Healthy Dose podcast I've ever done, Trevor. Yeah. I think you'd agree. And we really got the good fortune because Kayla and Kristen and Dan, who are members of groups, agreed to join us yeah, really and share up. their stories and open up, which is not an easy thing to do about their journey with opioids and heroin and other and drugs. And I think this one's going to be longer because I think we just, having just wrapped this up, I we're think- not gonna our, We're not going to edit it. We're not going to edit it. We're just going to let it run and let them tell their story. And I think it's a wide-ranging conversation about how they became addicted, how they've dealt with addiction, how it's affected their family, how it affects their community, and how they've ultimately you know, been able to come out yeah. of addiction and, yeah. and, and hopefully beat it. And so we're just gonna let them tell their stories and share their journeys. And yep. I think you'll find it as impactful for you as it was for us. I wanna thank Kristen, Kayla, and Dan for joining us. We're here in Lebanon at a group's location. And obviously, we'd love to talk to you guys about your experience and your journey. So I, I guess I'd turn it over to you. I'd, I'd love for one of you just to sort of tell us your history of how, you know, you unfortunately came to using opioids and, and sort of the journey you've had to get to here to groups. Anybody want to kick it off? Yeah. Like I said, um, you know, I wasn't sure if I was able to bear kids. And when I got pregnant with my son, I was 22 and I never had done opiates. I, you know, did the normal teen stuff, drank, smoked some weed, you know, tried the trippy drugs, and I got into cocaine pretty heavily in my, like, 18, around 18, 19. Um, you know, it was more like party and fun, but I never experienced with any heroin, with any type of opioid ever. And, and when you were doing that stuff, did you feel that you were addicted or it was just really fun? I think it was just more like just rebelling and being a teenager yeah. and just, I think I left my mom's house like when I was like 17 maybe and it was just more like party like hey try mm -hmm. this you know you're out there I was living a little bit of everywhere I stayed with friends I stayed in my car like I just I partied and I traveled a lot and I still worked in between obviously to hold down my <laughs> my partying but I just went out and had a lot of fun and I did a lot of drugs and I don't think it was I think drinking was like more like my thing my mom's an alcoholic I love to drink. That was always like my main thing. Like there's nothing else like we'll just drink like yeah, mm -hmm. pot. I mean, I like to do it. I didn't have to have it. Um, 
definitely like doing a lot of cocaine, but I think like that, I felt more addicted to alcohol and cocaine, I think in my like teen years than anything. And then when I got pregnant with my son, you know, it was my pregnancy. And then I- um, You said you had a C-section. I had a C-section, yep. So basically they put you on painkillers when you're, you know, leaving the hospital and I didn't really think anything of it. Um, I think they gave me like 10 milligram Percocet or something. Cause I also had some back issues before my pregnancy and they kind of got worse with the pregnancy, carrying so much weight. Yeah. And so, I mean, between like my back and the C-section, like I was in, you know, I wasn't comfortable at all. So they, you know, they sent me home with them for a couple weeks, you know, to heal from the C-section. And then after they're like, okay, you know, we're going to stop giving you, then it was like, well, my back is still really hurting. So they continued. Hmm. And then I think it was maybe after like a year, they're like, yeah, we can't keep prescribing you, you know, these And are you going, when you went, you know, you obviously go home, you have pain. Right. They give you uh, after the C-section the opiates, but then are you going back to have a check-in in which they're, they're re-prescribing yes. another 30 days or yeah, what have you? Yeah, pretty that's much. How it, that's like how it... it kept going. Like wow. it was always like another, like, well, my back hurts, you know, or my C-section, you know, I'm still having pain. So it was like always just like continued at least for like a year that I was prescribed, you know, like a, a painkiller. And when did you know you were hooked? Probably when I stopped breastfeeding after like three months because I was in a lot of pain and it was too hard to do. So I just started to bottle feed. So I'm like, oh, I could bottle feed. I can drink, you know, I can have a glass of wine now at night. And once I had that like glass of wine with taking, and it wasn't like my plan to take both of them and be like, yeah, we're going to feel really good. It was just kind of like taking my normal dose. Then I had some drinks and I'm like, wow, like I feel awesome. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of became like, well, I like that feeling. So I'm going to continue to do it. And it kind of just continued. And then after they stopped prescribing me the painkillers, my mom was prescribed them and we were living together. So that was like, hey, you know, can I have a few? And so she like fed my addiction. I fed hers. Like it just kind of went back and forth. And I think it was after like two years of doing that, I hit rock bottom and I tried to kill myself. And I was like, yeah, I can't keep doing this. Like I knew it was an issue. I definitely knew it was an issue. I knew that I had to have that drink and that pill. Like I knew, like I liked that feeling way too much to like try to go out a day without having, you know, any of that. And you have a baby at this time. Too, yeah, right? and I had a baby, yep, and that was really hard. And my mother was living with me, which made it really difficult because we were both enabling each other and it was stressful. And, you know, days like, well, I don't have enough to give you. And it's like, well, if you don't give me any, then I'm going to be sick. So it was like, you know, there was fighting in between. There was a lot of drama and chaos and like, yeah, having a baby that's, you know, maybe like, a year or two old, like it was just, it was really difficult because I went through postpartum as yeah. well. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I was a single mom, like the father wasn't involved in that point at all. I had no boyfriend. I had no help except for my mother. So it was like, who, it made it. codependent on you. Yeah, life. it made it kind of like, it was, it was not a good situation. And I think that's like after two years, I remember like I got in the car and I just tried to drive it off a bridge and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't know what made me feel like that because I think like, how could I be so selfish to like try to kill myself when I have a baby? But I was in a bad spot. And I think after that whole thing happened, I f they put me in Dartmouth and I was in the psych unit. And that's, you were up, you were, this is in New Hampshire. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So this was all in West Lab, the same place I'm living now. And still I met. Still mom or? Yep. It's a switch reverse now. Like she still has the same apartment that I used to live in, but now I'm living with her. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I was in Dartmouth and I met, I think it might have been Dr. West if I'm thinking correctly. Um, he 
was at Dartmouth for a long time. He was one of like the, I think that's when they start introducing Suboxone because mm-hmm. this was like seven years ago, maybe. Wow. Um, and that's when he was like, well, you know, you're withdrawing from the opiates. We have a pill that can help you. Because at the time, you know, I get films now, but there were the pills at the time. And he told me about it and I'm like, no, I don't think I want that. I've heard about it. I don't think that would help me. He's like, I think you should give it a try. And I fought him on it. I didn't want to be on any another pill that I relied on. You know, I was like, I just don't want to do anything. Because that's obviously like if I take another pill to fix this problem, then am I going to be dependent upon that? A couple days of being in there, um, he talked me into it. So I started the Suboxone and I've pretty much been on and off of it ever since. Wow. So. And, and let me let me ask you guys, Kaylin, Dan, <laughs> did both of your... Addiction start with a medical prescription of opioids or I never did anything like at all ever Everyone in my family was an addict alcohol. My stepdad was wicked crackhead still is but it's just meth now, but um, I hated it with a passion My brother which is like he was like my best friend. He got murdered in my house Mm. and that night my cousin drug-related No, his best friend just shot him Uh. and his girlfriend um, and that night, um, my cousin was like, I got something for you. And we took a trip and he gave me a perk 30 and it was like immediate addiction. Like instantly I didn't cry, I could take care of my daughter. So this was not black market cause that's, but he was just no, from a friend. Just, cousin. cousin. Yeah, yeah. He just, he, this was he how dealt long him. Ago? This was 2011. 2011. Um, and you were then, in a bad place, obviously like the worst place yeah, ever. And it I kind of just used it as an excuse, you know, to keep doing it. And then. You know, he gave us like 20, here you go, pay us later. And then, you know, friends like them. You know, I find out friends like it, and then we can make 25 bucks off each one. So we ended and, up- and can I ask you one question about that point? Before, I mean, clearly you had people, you just sort of said, your cousin, you had friends. Mm-hmm. Were you just totally oblivious to Yeah, this, I mean, this? my brother was wicked addicted to methadone, but I stayed away from it. I never, I mean, I smoked pot like twice beforehand. I was 19 at this point, so I literally never did nothing. I didn't even like alcohol. And, like, I had broke my pelvis in 2009. They gave me, like, 220 Dilaudids. I used them the right way. Never got high. Hmm. I didn't have addictive personality until then. And then, you know, I'd, me and my other half would be doing them. And then this person was like, oh, can you get me one? Or can you get me one? And then we realized what we were getting them for and what we could charge them for. It just became more. So How then, do you get them? How do you get access to it? Uh, just my cousin had a connect where he lived in the city and... They got them, and we went and picked them up. So you started also distributing them, selling them? Yeah, within like two months of trying it. and Because you need the money to feed the addiction? Yeah, pretty much. And at the height of it, we were doing about 18 each a day. 30 milligram? Blue, yeah, 30 milligrams. That's your selling or you're doing? We're doing, free. Wow. We're, we're, we're selling a lot. And then our connect got busted. They were like robbing a truck or something. I don't know. They got busted, so it was done. Uh, we lived in a really shitty town, Springfield, Vermont, and there's everything there. Every corner, there's usually dope. We couldn't find the perks hmm. anymore. Um, and this girl that we were getting them from, when our connect was dry. When you say really shitty town, I don't mean to trick joke, but like, it's just what, how do you? What, what? It's just just all drugs. Like it's like they call it like a zombie town. Just people are just all fucked up. That's really? all it is. It's disgusting. Um, how many people live in that town? Do you think? Springfield's a pretty big town. A lot of people. But like literally 50% are 
a lot of the small yeah, towns. I, up yeah, one I grew become, up in that town a little bit too. It's you know, just, because it's of, just really is bad. it just an it's a it's a runway of drugs. It's, yeah, it's, it's an right avenue near from the city, like Brattleboro, right? and yeah. like, you know, just the big problem there was the Jersey Boys. So this one girl that we would get them from when our person was dry, she the Jersey Boys lived with them. Well, one night they came and knocked on our door, and three of them needed a place to stay. And if we let them stay with us, they would you know give us drugs for free for payment. So we let them. Three turned into like eight, and we ended up having to kick them out, and it was really bad. They came, jumped my husband in front of our daughter. Mm. They were gonna shoot up our house. It was just a bad situation, so we left. Um, moved back up here to White River, and we stayed at the Shady Lawn, which is another shithole place to stay. Um, and we got a new connect, and we're reselling again. Then I started dancing, awful choice. Um, because we need a lot of money quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. We ended up getting raided. By the police? By the police. Um, I was at work, it was just my husband there, thank God my daughter was gone. They didn't find anything. Except How old's like, your daughter at this time? She was about four wow. at this time. And do you think she had any sense of what was going on? She knew some. I mean, she just, she wasn't, I don't know, we didn't do things in front of her, but there was a lot of things that she had to know. Like, we're supposed to go here, but instead we're taking a two-hour car ride, mm -hmm. and she's just sitting in the car, and we're sitting at a gas station waiting to meet somebody or waiting for a phone call, and she's like, what are we doing, you know? Like, she was old enough where she knew, but she didn't know. You described taking 30 milligram Percocet. Is that, does that become the drug of choice for you? I mean, is it, could you take oxycodone? Could you take oxycon? Could you take other things, or is that... Is there a certain thing about Percocet? You have like your, you know, specific drug of choice. So like she was saying, like the 30 milligram, like Percocet, they're little blue pills. So there's no Tylenol in them. It's just straight, you know, you crush them up. Like for me, I never injected any drugs. I've never done heroin. Um, but Have like, you done heroin? Yeah. You have? Yeah. I ain't got there yet. <laughs> but with like the pills, like <laughs> it's a small amount. It's an easy snort if you're snorting it and it's quick. And, you know, if you don't have anything that day and somebody's like, well, I got a five milligram Vicodin with 500 ibuprofen in it. It's like, I'll take the chance and do it because it's something's better than nothing. Right. But it's like, if that's what you can get, that's your drug of choice. That's what you're going to go to. If there was nothing else around, it's like, well, yeah. you know, I have this or that, you know, you'll probably take it or try to snort it or do whatever you do um, when there's nothing else available just to feed the addiction part as far as like being an opiate. You when know. you said you were instantaneously addicted, this is coming from someone who... I hated it and I never, I never wanted to do anything, but I, I just couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't focus. I couldn't, yeah. nothing. Can you explain to us and the people listening, like what is that feeling for those of us who've not it was that. just like a euphoria. Like, I immediately could think happy thoughts. I could hmm. remember them in a good way. I could think about caring for my child. Like, I, I didn't want to see her face. Um, Dulls your pain. It Is just, that right? It kind of numbs you to what, whatever's you're depressed about or whatever. It kind of just numbs you up a little, so you're not, you know, focusing or. You know, kind of just makes it like go away for like yeah, that meantime. And how long does it block it? I mean, obviously, if you take that's why you take more, is because that I don't comes know, back. Because I just kept going. You just kept going. <laughs> I yeah. didn't break until I went to rehab, but um. So you get but you get you get busted. Or, yeah, we got raided. Um, he took the fall for everything, so I didn't end up going to jail. He only did two months because it was only paraphernalia that we had at the time, and he went away, and I continued to dance, and I ended up moving to Boston to dance because. 
the club here closed, which made us so much worse. That's when I did heroin for the first time. We went to Brockton, Mass, and I literally just got out of the car and walked down the street and found the first person I did and asked this little white girl in this crazy town. And I got a ball, this China white that just rocked my socks. And so you're feeling withdrawal. Yeah, you're in I didn't search have, of like, have, yeah. you didn't have anything and you were just like suffering from withdrawal. And so anything that would, yeah. would and, save you from feeling that way. Um, that's when I started smoking it. I didn't sniff it anymore. I smoked it, I just put it on foil and I don't know, just, I never wanted to touch a needle. It just gave me, this made me really sick watching it. I watched so many people and I just didn't want to, but the sniffing it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. And so many people, like all my old customers, whatever you want to call them, they all smoked it. So I figured I'd just try it and it just rocked my world. And you know, when I, like I'd go and work on the weekends and then come back home and I ended up finding someone in town who had it, unfortunately. And when my husband had gotten out, we just picked up from there. Um, we ended up just going way, way, way downhill. And then I got pregnant with my son. Um, Can I ask you one question? Is like a community, like the dancing community, where you were doing it for a living, is drugs, is it prevalent in? Yeah, I mean, so it just feeds on was, itself. That was really the only time I ever drank. I drank a lot. I mean, Patron was like my best friend. Them three years I danced, but it's just everywhere in there. Yeah. Everyone's doing Molly and Coke, and it was a lot. And it's so much different than up here. You know, when I went to Boston, I is knew it? I was going to make more money, but like the clubs and the people, it's just so much more different. It just, it like made me evolve to like a different level of it. Like here, I was nothing compared to what they're doing down there. Really? So we ended up getting on heroin, and we were steady on that for a good solid year or more. And then I got pregnant with my son, and I couldn't stop. We started smoking a lot of crack, bath salt, like we were in a bad place for a homeless. Mm. Um, we moved into the Haven, which is a shelter here. We set off the fire alarm three different times, smoking crack in the room. It was bad while I'm pregnant. And when I had my son, I actually didn't do anything for three days prior. I went into labor a month early, drug-induced, um, because I did so many drugs, I went into labor early. But I hadn't used three days prior to that day that I went into labor, but they said when I arrived I was all fucked up. So they asked if they could do a UA, and I said, yeah. What's a UA? Uh, if they could just do a UA. Urine yep. And it came back with, you know, coke, opiates, methamphetamine. Um, and DCF came, and the fourth day when we thought we were leaving, they took them. Both your kids. Mm -hmm. oh. And um, they actually set me up at a warrant. I had a warrant for like five years, and they took the kids, and then while I was walking outside, they had the cops wait in there, the DCF lady, but whatever. And then we went back, my mother, my stepdad's a wicked crackhead, so we had a distant relationship but after I had my son, we kind of became close. And when I went to my mom's house, because um, we didn't have anywhere to go, and we got kicked out of the shelter, they were actually selling a lot. Um, my stepdad was selling heroin and crack, like, a lot. And he didn't know I knew about it, because um, we didn't talk much. So we became his distributor. You know, we made a lot of money through them. Um, and your kids are now gone. at DCF gone. I mean, we were going to visits, and we smoking four bags before we went into a visit right in the DCF parking lot. Like, we were really bad. We knew we needed to stop and just couldn't. And it was about two months after they got taken, we decided to go to rehab. So we both went to two separate rehabs. 
Um, Inpatient? Yeah. You checked yourself in? Yeah. I went to uh, Valley Vista, which is up in Bradford, Vermont, and I was there for 36 days. I came out. Um, my How other, bad was the withdrawal? It wasn't that bad, honestly. No. They wanted to get me on Suboxone, and I said no. I did not want to get addicted to another anything. Um, and can, can I ask you, just because I think Trevor asked the, the high of or the addiction of an opiate, what it does for you. Can you describe for our you know, listeners what a withdrawal is like? Like, Restless. Um, what do you feel? Like literally, you just want to like crawl in a ball and die. Like is I just it pain, like your physical pain, mental. Pain? I had a lot of physical pain because, like I said, I took a lot of opiates because I had back pain. Yeah. Which I still currently have back pain, <laughs> but you know, it's just kind of like you're in pain. You're hot. You're cold. You're clammy, sweaty hands, like vomit, like diarrhea, just. Like you feel like you just like somebody ran you over with a car a couple times and you're just like can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't sit still, but you don't have energy to move. Like mm-hmm. it's just a, it's an awful feeling. Like for me anyways, like at the point I got so bad if I didn't get a bundle of heroin into my arm before ten AM I'd be projectile vomiting and diarrhea and kibbying on the toilet. I was a monster. And that's the thing, I think that's so hard So the withdrawal at that point is worse than the crate. Once you start shooting, it's a whole nother level. Like, yeah. withdrawals before I was shooting was bad. It felt like the flu. Mm-hmm. Like, felt like you were in an oven with the flu. Like, you're sweating, you're hot, cold, and fidgety, restless legs. You feel like bugs are crawling on you. You, oh, it was, you know, just awful. And, but the, going to, Shooting when I was shooting it was way worse like I mean I drive for hours um, In the bathroom I'd lay on the floor next to the toilet hugging the toilet because it was cold You were how old when this was happening? Was two years ago. Two years ago. 35. Did you you became an addict later in life or? I think I've been an addict my whole life for Is one thing or another. Is that right? No but I think like with the withdrawals being so bad, you know that if you, cause you're like, okay, I want to stop. It's a problem. But you are so sick that, you know, like just by taking that one pill or that one shot or whatever you, it is, you get another day. you're going to feel so much better instantly. Like it might take a couple minutes, but like, like when I went to jail, I had to withdraw and like I got out and I knew just like getting a little bit would make me feel better. And it was like, if you feel like shit and you know what you can do to make it feel better. Like you get high again, and that's where it's like I was stuck a vicious I was cycle. I had no choice. Like I was selling it, and I needed to make the money, so I had quantity. It was, it was hard to like. I was like, every day I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna do two less bags today, and then like I'd set aside a little bit, and I'd say that has to last me five days. And you both talked about actually selling to to feed your <laughs> feed the addiction. Like, how much are you making when dough. you're selling? I was making dough. Like. Thousands was, of dollars? Yeah, I mean, I was... You're making it, but you're spending it yeah. faster than you Like, how much do you think yeah. you spent on your addiction a week? Holy fuck, I have no idea. At least three grand. Three grand a week? At least. Wow. So, can I ask you guys, like, do you wake up today now that you're not doing all this and you're like, I can't believe I'm alive? Because your stories, I'm listening, and Dan, I want to hear your story as well, but just from what it sounds like, like... Half all, my friends are dead. <laughs> is, that is that right? right? Yeah. That's people I used with, they're either dead or incarcerated. More wow. than half. Yeah. Have you seen people die using drugs? I Narcan somebody, me and my friend, and she was she was definitely dead, like or gonna be dead. She lived. Um, one of my best friends was in my car. Well, I gave him a ride home, and 
the next day I got a phone call that he'd overdosed that night. Um, so the question I have, and this is, is maybe unanswerable, but like you're in the thick of what you all have lived through. You're watching your friends die. You're watching your mother deal with addiction. You're watching your kids be taken away. Like, what is it about this drug that makes it so it's impossible to stop at that moment? I was a very good functioning drug addict. Mm -hmm. Like, so if I had the drugs, you would never know. Is that right? I could go to work. I started young, like I was on Ritalin when I was like fourth grade and yeah. um, ADHD. Yeah. So I, I was on Ritalin for 10, 12 years and then it evolved to Coke and crack, meth. Um, I don't really consider weed a drug, but I guess I smoked <laughs> weed all along. But yeah. um, the, for me, you feel like trapped. You're kind of like, I don't know, it's hard to stop doing it being that sick, I had to go to work. So I can't like be sick like that at work. You did a bunch of drugs when you were a kid, then how did you get to opiates or heroin? I was in Just middle school selling Ritalins to high schoolers. Wow. Um, I was, when I graduated, I started selling Coke, pounds of weed. It just progressed. Um, I've always had a job, good jobs. Um, how about relationships, Jim? Yeah, I had, uh, my wife and I have been there 12 years. Um, went to high school together. We didn't date in high school. Girls was before that for a few years. I mean, it affected my marriage a lot because my wife and I were both were both addicts. Yeah. Um, it was quite a quite an ordeal. The um, I guess I mean I've always I've always done drugs. It's been like the way I've dealt with things. Um, so what changes? Like what made you? Um, for me, they said they were going to terminate my parental rights. Hmm. So I just, I don't know, I just snapped out of it. When was that? How long ago was that? That was 2015. Okay. And you had been at that point using for... Yeah, I had gotten out of rehab and when I got home, my stepdad gave me a bundle and said he saved it for me so I could make money. <laughs> took me four minutes to relapse um, and it was worse. I started doing basalts and crack more than I ever had. And then we all went to court one day, and my fiancé was, he had just OD'd an hour before. I had to throw him in the shower, a cold shower, and we still had to go to court, and he was, like, nodding off. Um, right next to his attorney in front of the judge, and the judge is thinking we're doing great. And he said that, you know, we weren't stable or nothing because we were still using, even though we were telling him we weren't. And we had all these things we had to get done to get them home. And so he said they were giving us 30 more days or they would terminate our parental rights. Luckily, you know, our kids were with a family member. So it wasn't, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad. And that just kind of woke me up and, and him. Um, and he came here first. Hmm. He got in first to groups. Because yep. um, neither <laughs> one of us wanted to get on Suboxone or Methadone or anything because it's just another drug. But us saying that we can do it on our own wasn't working. Um, so we said, we'll try it. And it worked. He got in. I got in a month later. And, I mean, we've been on nothing but Suboxone since. So you do take Suboxone? Yes. Can, can we talk about that for a second? And I want to, you both have mentioned, and Dan, you haven't, but maybe, maybe you not the same thing. Not wanting to be on methadone or Suboxone. I'm not clean. But you weren't clean to begin with, right? So, like, no, what's the, how, tell, tell, walk me through the thinking around that and the psychology of that almost. I just feel like, you know, I changed the lifestyle. That's it. 
I'm still using, I'm still waking up every day and I have a routine of, you know, after a little bit, I gotta take this. Um, or if I start feeling shitty, it's because I need medicine, just like I did when I was on dope. Like, I'm not doing all the other things I was doing while I was doing that, because it was way more chaotic all lifestyle. All the destructive things, other things, yeah. Um, but it's still the same thing. I, I don't feel like I'm clean, hmm. but it was it's a good stepping stone to get me where I need to be. I mean, I've had a job for two years. I'm very stable. I have all my children back. It's been almost two years since I've had them home. Um, now it's just getting off this, and it's it's hard. It sounds like you've had a job, and all three of you have held jobs. Like, How are you treated by employers in this situation? Do they know, or...? I was honest with my employer, and they were fine with it. Yeah. I mean, you just really, for me, it was just really good to prove yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking Suboxone to get high, and it doesn't get me high. So it's not like I'm gonna be, you know, out of character at work, whether it's noticeable. I don't even bring it to work. I take it before or after. Yeah. Um, but I definitely wanted to let them know beforehand what I had been through. You know, I was still dealing with DCF when I got my job and having like controlled visits and things like that. So it was just something I had to tell them, but they're understanding and. Mm -hmm. Same with both of you. Um, personally, like my work doesn't really, like I didn't really ever say anything to them about like my past or medication that I take. Like, honestly, I don't think they really give a shit. Yeah. I go and I do my job and I leave. I'm a waitress right yeah. here. So yeah. <laughs> I take it at work. Like I, I throw the wrappers in the trash. Like, I don't know if anybody ever sees me do it. There's a lot of cameras everywhere, but like, honestly, I don't really think they care either yeah. way. Like, I don't think it matters. Just having a job help. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time probably, right? The For, structure and routine. Yeah, structure, routine, definitely. Like money's helpful. Like you can go to work and make money and not have yeah. to go and spend it on something. Like I can buy my kid a Halloween costume. I can do the things that I want to do and enjoy my life and have a good time. Like I'm not spending money on just to, you know, feel better or get high, which is, you know, really helpful. And like, yeah, structure and routine. I like my job. You guys talked about, I think you all nodded actually, that you were high functioning addicts and like could do your job well. Now that you're on Suboxone and, and off the drugs, do you look around? I mean, in this community, do you look around and see a guy to your right and a girl to your left way. who are addicted? I mean, how prevalent is it? And can you spot it like in a, in oh, a yeah. nanosecond? So do you think people could really? spot you then? <laughs> I think they knew, I can't really say where I work, but I yeah. think they knew um, there's a couple people in human resources that kind of had a good idea that something was going on. And then since I've been clean, um, I've been a little more open about it with just very few people, you know, a couple people. Right. And they actually come to me because the company's trying to figure out how to deal with this kind of stuff on a larger scale. Yeah, interesting. And they've come to me with questions like, hey, what worked for you? <laughs> like, So it's kind of cool in that, that is cool. where I've actually been able to like, you know, guide people. Help Almost be them. a mentor or help out. Yeah. So like employers in these communities, West Lebanon, they have enough, it's prevalent enough here that like. Mine will get you help. Like if somebody, there's been people at my work that they've been like, okay, well, you're going to go take a pee test and it will try to get you help and yeah. get you into counseling or something. Like How prevalent, you know, is this epidemic in where you live? I mean, is it like... It's rampant. It's rampant? Yeah, oh, it's yeah. pretty high. Like, yeah, it's not hard to... <laughs> I don't need a car. I could just go for a walk and come back with drugs. Like, it's it's everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad. 
And I haven't done them in two years. <laughs> yeah, and so how hard, I mean, I've sat in on groups, I've had the good fortune of, and I think one of the things I've, I've heard several times, you just have, you almost have to like get rid of your phone. Change your people, Change places my and number. things. Change your people, places and things. Yeah. You mean to just stay? Stay just, the heck out of. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you still, I mean, living in this town, it's quite small. I still see people all the time that, you know, that I used to get stuff from or use with or party with or whatever. I still have people ask me. They aren't me. respectful that you're clean. No, It's like no. your stepfather Oh, people not... will still ask me all the time. I have like... one friend that's been, my... I have a lot of friends, but <laughs> I have one friend that we've been friends for 20 years and before drugs, during drugs, after drugs, we both are clean now. And it's, it's funny, we'll get together and we'll be working on his house or something and we'll like both start laughing, you know, and just like, what did we do? You know, like all the times that we sit here and talk about, oh, we need to fix that at his house or something. And now we're, you know, all this stuff's it. done, you know, when we're just like, it's amazing how much time and money you waste in your life so just sitting there drooling on yourself. And your kids you motivated want. you to get clean. What was the thing that motivated you, Dan, first? And then Chris, and what, what motivated you to make the step? Because it was two years ago, it sounds like. Yeah, I was on the verge of losing everything. I just lost two friends. Um, they died? To death, um, yeah. overdose. My wife, uh, we ended up moving out of our apartment, moved into my parents. My wife had to get picked up by an ambulance twice. She took a bunch of anxiety meds and drank and blacked out. Uh, I was actually leaving. She was trying to not be sick because we hadn't done anything. I actually left the house and was going to get some stuff. And I get a phone call by my mom saying that there was an ambulance at the house and they were going to Narcan my wife. And I was like, well, it's not going to do anything because she's not on that. And so that happened twice. My wife went away for three months to an inpatient treatment facility. And I got worse while she was gone. <laughs> um, you know, I was just supporting my habit at that mm -hmm. point. And my mom was like, well, I'm going to take your kids. She's like, if you don't get straightened out. And I was about to lose a really good job. Um, and it's weird after getting sober, you know, I've been promoted twice. It's like all of a sudden it was like the light switch got flicked back on. It was like, I feel like, I feel like I like temporarily paused my career and everything just, and then I clean up six months later, it's like everything's going the right direction for me again. It's, it's I can't, you know, you look back and you're like, what the hell did I do all that for? How about you? Probably my son. Like I've always been really passionate about wanting, like when I was younger, like my mom being an alcoholic, she's, 63 she's drank as long as i've known her and i'm 32 so like she was a really good mom for the you know she was a functioning alcoholic and she was a great mom and i'm like i'm gonna be a great mom and when i had my son like i was very happy it was just like for me i spent my pregnancy alone and it was just like me and my growing belly and like when i had him it was the best thing in the world and like i was really happy and then like getting on the drugs like i didn't really think that's like, that was not my plan. Like, the guy that got me pregnant didn't give a shit. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, it's just going to be me and this little boy. Like, I can do this by myself. I don't need any help. I'm going to be an awesome mom. And I did really good, but then it got really bad. Yeah. And when I tried to kill myself and I got in the hospital and I was like, this is not how this was supposed to go. Like, what happened? And I had to do, like, a reality check. And, like, do I really want to die? Do I want to leave? Like, be, I was responsible for, like, I guess the big thing for me is, like, when I got pregnant, he's like, I don't give a shit, peace out. And I was like, all right, I can either abort 
or I can go through with this. And I chose to go through with that. So I chose to bring a life form, mm -hmm. me, this other life form, into this world. And for me to be so selfish to not care for the, you know, for that person or take my own life and leave him behind would be like, I think like the worst thing in the world. And I was like, I can't like, I need to get my shit together and I need to be there for him and do this and just like. So was your suicide attempt sort of the light, the light switch for yeah, you? Yeah, like I just didn't want to do it anymore. Like I tried to stop and I tried to get clean and I just couldn't and I didn't know who to turn to. Like I didn't have a lot of support. Like my mom's an alcoholic. I didn't have a lot of friends. Like I isolated myself when I was pregnant and it was just me and this baby, me and this baby. And then like my mom came into the picture after I had him to help me, but it just went really bad. And I'm like, you know, I wanted, I just... You know, I made that decision to bring my son into this world and I'm not going to leave him behind. So it was like, you need to get your shit together and be that person you want to be and live a happy life and raise this child and it's be there for him. So my son is my, a lot to do with it. A it's, lot. <laughs> you all have family structures, mm -hmm. right? You, you have your mom who in some ways helped you through this, but was also, it sounds like an enabler mm -hmm. to this. And Very much. you had your husband and you were living at home and it sounds like that in some ways made it worse. Mm -hmm. And you had your wife. Where do families help for people going through this crisis and where are they enablers? My parents took us in to help us because they knew we were having issues, but I don't think they realized that like, you know, making it so I didn't have to pay rent and whatnot mm -hmm. was kind of enabling me in a way because I, you know, had more money now to spend on drugs. Right. And it was tough when my wife came back from rehab. You know, she looked great. I hadn't seen her in four months. And, like, I mean, she looked like a totally different person. And I picked her up at the airport, and I was like, I was still using. And, like, she looked at one look at me, and she knew I was still a mess. And How did she stay work. clean coming out of rehab when you were still using? She didn't. She didn't. Uh, she relapsed. Um... And then we both came here. She was in a different group than I was for a while. And then she weaned off the Suboxone and was done with it. And she's doing great. And I've been tapering now myself to get. How long do you take Suboxone for? I don't know, yeah, because I've like, seven years ago is when I first started being on Suboxone and I've been on and off of it ever since. Like I've been in other groups besides this one. Um, I've got, I've had different prescribers, like, um, been on and off of it for like seven years. And like when I was off of it, I was in jail, so I couldn't have anything or I was using again, or I couldn't go, like I wasn't in a group or I'd get it off the streets. So for me, like it's, yeah, I'm totally dependent upon it and I'm really scared. Like what will happen if I don't take it? I was actually, you just used that word scared. I was going to ask, how scary is it to be in the position that you're in? In some ways, it's great, right? You look back and you're all thankful for where you are now, but I assume you must be scared every day about, or is that not the case? Do you not worry about running into someone who's selling and you might get an urge? I'm totally over that. Yeah. First six months to eight months for me was yeah. rough. I'd see friends that it would trigger in my head, like, you know, somebody I used with, so instantly I'd get fidgety and be like, oh, right. you got anything, you know, it was in my head, you know, but now it, you know, everything that, you know, I've done since getting clean. Do you like have a feeling of disgust literally? Like yeah, you just, it's oh, disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Somebody showed up at my house one day with stuff. You say get the fuck out oh, of here. Oh yeah, I was like, dude, my, my kids are here and I'm like, you know what, you wanna come over and hang out? Let's go for a hike, but 
you know, they're not in my house. Like, I can't have that around. It, for me, it, it, my kids are the main thing that keep, you know, ensures that I'm going to keep yeah. staying clean. I want to actually ask that question, too. How, how worried are you about your kids? You know, not just with your own personal history, but also with, let's just say, the, the epidemic, the community. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you think about that? I mean, how do you deal with that? How do you... Your kids are now, you got, all have kids who are ages where you can actually start to have conversations. Yeah, yeah my, my daughter kind of knew because, unfortunately, the family she was with when they came and visited me in rehab, they just told her that I'm there for using drugs, which she didn't even know what drugs were until they had to tell her that, which was really offended by. But um, I just explained to her, you know, I made bad choices, and she sees I'm doing way better now. As a parent, I'm just going to do my best to make sure to keep her away from things like that. Um, How hard is that? I mean, it's a different generation coming yeah. up. Hopefully, it'll be different. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Don't can, know. Can I shift topics? Like, when you were in a community like this and you go to your kids' schools, do the schools know some of the issues you've had and how does the school treat you? Or when you go to the doctor yeah, we want and you to. go see a physician, like how do physicians treat you? Or how are people listening to this podcast, how are people like insensitive or not understanding to the struggles that you guys have gone through and what you've done to get clean? The counselor at my son's school like, count, like talks with him once a week and she sat down and talked with me on her own time just to get to know like the situation and has been really open and like helpful. Um, doctors, kind of the same. I don't see a lot of doctors. I don't like hospitals and I don't like doing all that. So it's like this is like the most doctor I get is coming to the group um, and going to the pharmacy. But I don't know. I think like pretty understanding and like helpful like it's such a big thing now so it's not like you know you have to really hide it like Mm -hmm. I feel like I can be open and be like this is what's going on and people are like yeah you know great like church even church members that I talk to like the Mormons like they're really open and like for me like I feel like if I reach out for that support, that support's there. Kelly, you're you're negative, shaking, you had a, you're shaking yeah, your you had head. a negative reaction to the doctors I saw. What, where did... Dicks. They're so arrogant because of my past. Like, with my son, I fucked up. Like, sorry if I can't swear. No, you can. And I know it. And I'm, I know I'm still in Suboxone, but, like, I did... I changed a lot. I did a complete 360. And when I just had my daughter... They UA'd me, like, every single appointment. Um, they were just so rude, like, what do you want? How much you want? What's your pharmacy? Where's your counselor? Like, and then when I went in, my daughter that I just had, she was a week and a day overdue. So I went in, I made an appointment to go get checked to make sure everything was good. And I must kicked out four midwives. They were so fucking rude to me. They made me UA three times within two hours, just kept UAing me, and then um, they wanted to induce me. I asked if I could go home first, not to go do drugs, but to go, you know, pack lunches and things like that for the next day. I mean, I've been with my fiancé for 11 years, and he's a good parent, but I'm the mom. I do all that stuff. So, you know, just out of nowhere, I'm going there, and I knew once I went in, I wasn't going to be out for four to five days because I'm on Suboxone. Um, and they were just wicked rude to me. They made me sign a paper saying I'm leaving against medical advice. Um, and then when I came back, they do this thing where they score the baby because I'm on Suboxone. And there was one nurse that was really good, but the other ones were just 
off the wall. I mean, sneeze, you get a score. If she doesn't sleep longer than three hours, which they come in every three hours, they score you. It was just awful. They were just really rude. And when I go in for like checks, they, even my kid's pediatrician, they just ask me like how I'm doing with my treatment, how much I'm taking a day, how I take it. Just, they're really rude. Some people are super judgmental. Yeah. And even the pharmacists, like yeah. one of them was, hmm. give me an attitude. Like you're going to get the Suboxone and they give you an attitude. Yeah, Some I got pharmacies, her, yeah. I got a supervisor, I actually went in. Through the drive-thru, I drove around and then went in and pulled her supervisor aside. I'm kind of a supervisor at my work, and I right. pulled her supervisor aside, and I was like, you know, I explained to her, I was like, you know, your, your person's giving people crap that are getting help, and I'm like, you know, judging somebody's lifestyle as opposed to somebody pawning their shit, shooting heroin, and I was like, and she's over here judging me for taking a medicine that's helping me get past that point, you know, that in my mm -hmm. life. And I haven't seen that person at the pharmacy since, so I don't know what Good. they did with her, but yeah. she's not there. Like those moments, in some ways, being judged for doing the right thing pisses you off, but it's got to be empowering in a way, right? Like you had to feel immensely proud, and you, who are being judged by these medical professionals when you're not doing those things, in some ways, it's got to make you feel really proud that... I mean, it does. I know I'm going to prove them wrong, but it... It really gets me irate. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't doing good, okay, but for once I am, and I'm doing the right thing, and, you know, my children come first, and they're happy, healthy, and safe, yeah. and just for someone to judge me because of what I've done in the past, it just, it really pisses me off, and who are you to judge me? Who's helping you, or who's keeping you happy, you know, in the society? I mean, obviously, I know your kids and your family, um, but, like, we talk a lot about the negative of this epidemic, but who's, who's helping? I mean, my family, really, my husband, my kids, um, my immediate family, um, myself. Well, at the end of the day, I think family and, and your kids are the only thing that really matter. Um, so I'm glad you found happiness there, Kayla. Uh, we want to be mindful of time. I know you guys got to get back to your family. So Kayla, Kristen, Dan, on behalf of Trevor and, and myself, thanks so much for sharing your journeys with us and your stories. Yeah, and I, I just want to say um, to all three of you, you have given us so much here in terms of sharing your journey. And I cannot wish you more continued strength and success in your battle. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think your contributions here in telling people will have impacts on other people. And so to be able to turn something like you've gone through into such a, to help other people, I, I hope you realize the impact of that. And we thank you so much. Yeah, Robert. thanks guys, it's incredibly powerful. listening to a healthy dose please subscribe through itunes and if you have any suggestions for topics or guests email the guys at steve at bvp.com or trevor at oxyandpartners.com okay.